Amen. How good it is to hear you sing and to sing with you and worship the Lord together. Uh, I want to say to you this morning that in this room are people whom God is calling to step out and to take a step of faith. I cannot pretend to know what that is. I could not pretend to know with all of you what your situation is, but I do know this, that in here there are people to whom God is speaking. And he is saying to you this morning, as you are here in this place, you need to step out. You need to trust me. And that's what we are talking about this morning. You see, often we look for signs that hopefully give us direction or clues, the proverbial plane that flies through the sky and has the message at the end that says, uh, this is what you ought to do. But often we discover in Scripture that God gives those signs after the fact, not before. That God calls you and says, trust me, and then the signs come. If you look at Moses, for example, God said, Moses, lead these people out. And once you have, this is how you'll know this was my will. You'll worship God on this mountain after the fact. It's called faith. I remember when I was called to ministry, I've shared that with you before, But I remember wrestling with it in grad school. I was in Columbia yesterday, and it made me think of it. I was in grad school. I was studying to be a college administrator, and that's what I wanted to do. That was my dream for my life and what I wanted to do. And God began dealing with me about ministry, and I fought it back and forth, back and forth. As I was in grad school, I began to interview for jobs, got a job offered to me, thought, surely this must be God's will. Called them back, said yes. And then when I did, for a week, I was miserable. I fought it. I, I struggled, and I was miserable for a week And at the end of that week, I came home, and I remember that morning driving to the little church that I grew up in, and on that curvy road to that little church, I said to God, God, I'm in. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. I can't fight this anymore. And so I I went to that little church, and it was a church that that you could stand up and testify. And, And so the pastor preached, and before he preached, anybody could sing in the choir, so I did. And, and uh, after that was over, the, uh, I stood up at the end of the service, and I said, God has called me to preach. And when those words left my mouth, I thought, what have you done? Oh, no. And uh, so I... Um, was walking down the aisle of that church, had one aisle, and Albert was standing there. Albert couldn't read, uh, nor could he write. And Albert looked at me, and he said, Jerry, while you were singing in the choir, God told me you were going to be a preacher. And I thought, that's good. And I got out to the steps and uh, went through the double doors and these rounded steps. And there was a man that we all knew to be a man of God, a prayer warrior. His name was Paul. And Paul was standing on the front steps. And Paul looked at me 
And tears had welled up in his eyes, and he said to me, I have been praying for this for three years. Wow. Do you know what God did? He gave me two signs after the fact. It wasn't before. I had to trust him. I had to follow him. I had to obey. But it was after the fact, uh, after the obedience that God said, See, I I told you, and Ahaz experiences these signs. But there's verse 9 of 7 that is so overshadowed constantly by the next passage of Emmanuel. And if you write in your Bibles, you should underline this phrase, Isaiah, talking to Ahaz, who is king of Judah in the south, says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You see, Ahaz is king of Judah. Solomon is no longer king. The kingdoms have divided. And Ahaz is king of Judah in the south. And uh, Israel is now the kingdom in the north. You've got the south and the north. And Ahaz has reason to be afraid. uh, Because uh, there are two kings who are marching against him. Uh, The first is the king of Israel. How sad that is that God's people have turned on themselves, but they have. So the king of Israel has joined forces with the king of Syria, not to be confused with Assyria, but Syria. The two have joined forces, and Ahaz knows they're coming, and he's afraid, rightly so, for his people. And he calls out uh, in fear, and Isaiah shows up and says... Be firm in faith, Ahaz. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Notice Ahaz's response. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. You'll notice in this passage that when it says the Lord spoke and Isaiah is speaking, it's hard to tell who's speaking. And the the answer is that God is speaking on both occasions through his servant, Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz knows the law well enough to quote Deuteronomy 6.16. And Deuteronomy 6.16 says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so he knows the law well enough to quote it, but he also knows it well enough to distort it. You see, Deuteronomy 6.16 is true if you're proud and rebellious. It was given for that reason. If you think you know more than God, don't put God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6.16. But here, God is saying to Ahaz, ask me anything, Ahaz. It could be as high as heaven. It could be as low as Sheol, as deep as Sheol, anything in between. Just ask. Ahaz says, no. No, I'm not putting you to the test. Can we put God to the test? Ask Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Test me now in this, says the Lord. Test me now in this, says the Lord. In what? In giving. He says, you can't outgive me. Give, and I will pour out blessings that you can't even receive. God says, test me. 
And when God says, test me, guess what we ought to do? We ought to test him. We ought to test him in this. And Ahaz says, no, I will not put you to the test. I'm not doing that. Why? He had his plan already. Uh, Our first principle today is when you are not firm in the faith, your plans will ignore God's promises. When you are not firm in the faith, your plans will ignore God's promises. What was Ahaz's plan? Assyria. All right, so we've got Israel and Syria. Ahaz has this idea in mind, Assyria. Assyria is a massive kingdom. They've got a war machine. They can win this war. How do we know? 2 Kings 16, 7 through 9. Let me read it to you. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, Listen to this. I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also, don't miss this, took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Ker, and he killed Rezin. Ahaz had his own plan. And his own plan didn't include God. His own plan didn't include God. When you are not firm in the faith, your plans will ignore God's promises. When we cannot trust God, it suddenly makes sense to trust our worst enemy. John Wesley said, if a man will not believe God... He will believe anything. If a man will not believe God, he will believe anything. How do we see this played out today? Some of you are in a tough place in your life. And for whatever reason, your number one source of advice is ungodly friends. They don't worship the God you worship. They don't serve the God you serve. Yet you reach out to them for counsel. Why? Why? Some of you are sitting here this morning and your marriage is on the brink of disaster. And for some reason, you find it helpful to tune in to see what Dr. Phil thinks. Really? Why? Or you've got two or three friends at work. They don't like their husbands either. And you listen to them. I love how many teenagers are in these services. I love you. And love your being here, sprinkled all over this place this morning. Last week, filled up the whole front here. Teens, 99% of the time, 
Some of you have parents who don't walk with God. But for those of you who do, they know what they're doing. They love you more than I ever will. And I love you as your pastor. You've got some friends at school. And they have advice. But it pales in comparison to your own mom and dad. Who know how to and want to speak truth into your life. And all the parents say, Amen. Amen. You see... When you are not firm in the faith, your plans will ignore God's promises. Secondly, when you are not firm in the faith, your plans will hurt God's people. Notice what happens here. It's so subtle, but so tragic. Verse 13, and he said, God speaking here then, O house of David, or Isaiah speaking, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Please hear me. Please hear me. You never sin in isolation, ever. Your sin always affects someone else. Ahaz, by his refusal to follow God, is wearying not only God, but men, right? He wearies men too. Who are they? They're the people of Judah. They're weary from a king who isn't seeking God. The other thing is that if you trace the line of David, from King David down through Ahaz, Hezekiah, his son, walks with God. But if you trace it, there's a turning point here. And it's as if God just pulls away from the line of David and says, Okay, Ahaz, your decision is turning an entire nation. Your decision is wreaking havoc on an entire nation. And if that is your call, if that is your decision, if you're stiff-arming me, I'm backing off. And I must say to you that there have been times in my life when I've stiff-armed God, and those are not pleasant. They are not good. Ahaz stiff-arms him. God backs off, and Ahaz's distrust in God was the beginning of the end. This old saying I shared with my students at Montreat just uh, this week, studying the book of Daniel. Sin will take you farther than you intended to go. It will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. Always. Ahaz has no idea how his sin is wrecking a nation. Moms, dads. Do you know that when you walk with God, your children have security, they have comfort, they go to bed at night peacefully because mom and dad are walking with God? Do you know that when the words fly and when you're screaming at each other and when you're at each other's throats that your children are laying down at night wondering what is going to be of tomorrow? Do you know that? 
Do you know that when you turn again to alcohol and your kids see dad just slip away or mom slip away, they wonder, will they be here tomorrow? Kids, do you know that when you go after that sinful relationship, you seek that drug, you seek that fix that your mom and dad are lying awake? Begging God, bring him back. Do something with him. You never sin in isolation. You never sin, but what it doesn't affect someone else. Employers with employees, uh, doctors with patients, teachers with kids. Your sin just is, is a little pebble in a pond that ripples out. And Ahaz has his own plan called Assyria. You see, just years down the road, Assyria would come in and King Nebuchadnezzar would devastate Israel to the north and then Babylon would come in or King Nebuchadnezzar with Babylon and Assyria with uh, Pilliser would devastate Israel to the north and, and Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon to the south. Ahaz takes the things from the temple of God and calls himself Assyria's son. Uh, there's a slight change too, and it's huge. Look at verse 11. Ask a son of the Lord your God. Little tiny pronoun, your. Every time it occurs in this passage, it's singular and refers to Ahaz. Look at verse 13. Isaiah speaking, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary what? What is the pronoun? My. It's gone from your to my. Ahaz is finished with God. And God is finished with Ahaz. Ouch. Ouch. This is sobering, is it not? Some of you thought, well, Merry Christmas. (laughs) What a great series. I can't wait till next week. It gets better. Uh, The pronoun changes. Ahaz's sin distances God from him. If you preach principle one and principle two without principle three, it is, it's devastating. What's principle three? When you're not firm in the faith, God's plans will trump your disobedience. Wow. What happens? I'm blown away. When I first read this, in its historical context, and I'm reading it, I'm thinking, God, what, what, what are you thinking? It's like, how is this an answer? Therefore, Isaiah says, the Lord himself, that's the emphasis, not anybody else, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, when I hear that, I think of Christmas. I hear that, I think Joy, right? I think, God with us, how good is that? 
why is it or how is it that this isn't good for Ahaz? Here's how it is. Let's say it's uh, you've had the ball on offense and you went three and out. And so you're running off the field. One player runs toward his coach. The other kind of goes to the side. Why? Well, the player running toward his coach got the block he should have gotten. And the other didn't. For one, the presence of the coach is comforting. For the other, the presence of the coach is convicting. Right? All right, so when Ahaz hears this, no. The last thing he wants is the presence of God. He's made that clear. But if you're walking with God when you hear this, you say, yes. So how does this work out? Verses 15 and 16 give us a clue. He, this child, this Emmanuel, shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So there are two ages that could work here, either three years or 12 years or both. Meaning at the age of three, the kid's able to eat curds and honey. And at the age of 12, most likely in Jewish culture, he would know the difference between good and evil. He could be able to refuse. If you look at the history from when Isaiah made this prophecy, within three years, Israel to the north was in serious trouble. And within 12 years, both Israel and Syria have been overtaken by Assyria. So who was the kid? We read this and we think, well, this is all about Jesus. It is about Jesus. It's not all about Jesus, but it's about Jesus. So prophecies in the Old Testament have an immediate fulfillment and a future fulfillment. Many of them, not all of them. And this is one that does. And scholars have debated on who is this baby? Who is this baby? And nobody knows for certain, but based on just, you know, my teaching and and looking into this, I think this baby is Isaiah's first child mentioned in chapter 8. That's who I think it is. Some say it could be Ahaz's son. I think it's Isaiah's first child mentioned in chapter 8. The child is born. That raises another question. This word, the word isn't the technical word for virgin in in the Hebrew language. It just isn't. So if it isn't the technical word for virgin... Uh, what does the word mean? Well, it doesn't rule out virgin. It just says the word means a, a woman who is hidden from a man, meaning she's never been with a man. But there is a more technical word that means virgin. So why would Isaiah use kind of the, the more ambiguous word? Makes great sense if there's an immediate prophecy and a future one. If there's an immediate prophecy, he's going to say uh, a woman who has been reserved uh, has saved herself for marriage for her husband. That will fit then. If you put thee in front of it, which Matthew does in chapter 1, verse 23, if you put thee in front of it, then that word means virgin at that point, meaning never, ever been with a man. And so the word works both ways. God brings it about. Verse 17, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In other words, this enemy you think your friend is your friend is really your enemy. 
he will turn on you. As a matter of fact, Judah ended up being plundered in this battle that took place. The king of Assyria cared nothing for Ahaz. You see, God's presence comforts some and confronts others. God's presence blesses some and bothers others. God's presence approves some and afflicts others. God's presence thrills some and troubles others. Isaiah was thrilled by the sign of God's presence. Ahaz was troubled. So what happens? God says, Ahaz, you may not be part of of my plan, but I have a plan. Just because you're not signing up doesn't mean I'm checking out on my plan. How does that look? Well, there is going to be a birth of a baby boy down the road hundreds of years. And the birth of that baby boy will even come through your sinful line. You, Ahaz, that boy will be born Uh, Micah called it too. Micah 5 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who's to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. I bet you didn't notice the the part at the end when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men Uh, Micah called it too there's going to be a woman the virgin and she's going to give birth to the Messiah called Emmanuel God with us What is the point? When you are not firm in the faith, God's plans will trump your disobedience. Satan may have had his day, but God will always have his way. Amen? Amen. Satan may have had his day with Ahaz. Satan may have thought he foiled God's plan here. I'll turn Ahaz to the king of Assyria. When I'll do that, Ahaz will be completely wiped out. Satan may have his day, but God will always have his way. Satan may have had his day in your life. He may have wreaked havoc in your marriage. He may have wreaked havoc in your workplace this week. He may have wreaked havoc in your relationships this week. But God will always have his way. God reigns supreme. God is on the throne. He has not forgotten you. He knows what is going on. And he is able to bring you from where you are to where you need to be. Do you want Emmanuel? Emmanuel? 
Do you want his presence? Do you want a God who is in your business, who is all up here and, you know, invading the private space? That's the question for you. Or would you rather do it your way? That's the sign of Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. All up in our business. Calling the shots. Saying this is how your marriage ought to be. This is how you ought to be a middle schooler. This is how you ought to navigate high school. Uh, This is how to live as a single woman in an ungodly world. This is how to navigate your relationships. This is how to treat your students. Emmanuel comforts some and convicts others every time. The one to whom many of you are drawn, some of you run from. Ahaz ran. Matthew 1, and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. You know what's interesting? If I hadn't preached this today, my guess is that um, Ahaz is not on the radar for most of you. It's just a guess. It's that this week you didn't walk around thinking about Ahaz. Unless you're a historian, my guess is that Tiglath Pilliser doesn't interest you at all. But CNN and Fox in that day would have carried their story. An alliance has been formed. You could hear it now, right? Oh, Israel to the north was coming in, and, uh, and Syria to the northwest, they, they were coming in. And, and in a, a great political move, Ahaz, king of Judah, struck a deal, brought in the massive king of Assyria, Formed this alliance, saved his people, Ahaz, the hero, Isaiah, the fool. Satan may have had his day, but God will always have his way. Aren't you glad? I say, Jerry, what should I do? Here's how we're going to end. I'm going to say that this has everything to do I want to address two people, two groups of people in the room right now. And if our praise team could come. This has everything to do with two things. Number one, if you're in here and you're lost without Christ, you do not know Jesus. You may be a great guy, a great gal, but you have lived your life to this point in a stiff-arming move. You have said, I don't want 
or I don't need God. And this morning I would say to you, He is your greatest need. If you're lost without Jesus Christ, you should never leave this place the way you came. You say, Jerry, how, how, would, I, how would I change that? Admit your desperate need of Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave. Admit your desperate need of him. Believe that God sent him in your place to die for your sins. And that he did raise three days later, Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. And confess him. What does confessing him look like? It means if you're legit, you don't care if the guys at school or the gals at school know. That's confessing, saying out loud that he is Lord. See, in Paul's day, that could cost you your life. That's what you called the emperor. So in today's day, and today, today, it'll cost you. It may mean your coworkers will look at you strange. That's confessing him. You'll be saved. So I would say that to the first group of people. If you're lost, come to him today. And then I would say this to the rest of us who know him. This is something that through the years I've done, this may seem so simple to you. And I'm just kind of opening up like this is what I do in my own prayer time. But have you ever had something that you think you can handle <laughs> and, and you pray about it and you feel like you gave it to God for about two and a half minutes and two and a half minutes later, the very thing you thought you handed off, you took right back. Anybody been there besides me? Help me out. Thank you for about five honest people. All right, so, Yeah. So here's something I've learned to do, and it's so simple. I take my hands, I put them out like this, and I begin to pray. And I put whoever or whatever it is right here, and I say, God, I will not do this. If you're with me on this, I can't hold this. So, here. Wendy and I have done this, as you know, on numerous occasions, 11, when Trent's been through surgery. God, here he is again. The last one was the hardest five hours of saying, here he is, God. Here he is. If you've ever had a lost, meaning not know Christ child, you've done this. You have to. You can't live unless you pray with open hands. Some of you need to take your marriage and you need to put it in your hands and say, God, here it is. I give. I can't fix him. Some of you need to take a son or a daughter 
and you need to open your hands to a good, good father. Say, here they are. I can't. And God with you will. Amen? Do do you think he, he likes to see those hands like that? And say, all right. All right. I've been waiting for this. I am with you. I am with you. Sleepless nights, I'm with you. Times of worry, oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Emmanuel, God with us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song that says you're a good, good father. That's his name. Loved by you, that's our name. That's your name. Good, good father, loved by you. Lover, beloved, the beloved one. Just want you to take your hands and open them to the Lord. If you need to come, I'll be down here. Adrian's got to slip out and preach it. Friendship today, but I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. Let's stand.